media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. And as you're seated this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. You may be familiar with that's where the, the passage where Paul went from Paul was before, but we're actually going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you can go there first, uh, this is the last in our Easter series, and we'll go back to Mark in the next couple of weeks. As you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, again, uh, I've kind of changed the sermon over three three times in three days, and yet it keeps on kind of coming back to this uh, the power of this message. And it's one that I feel is kind of repetitive from the last two weeks, and uh, but but maybe, again, by just pronouncing the truth of this, we can grasp it a little bit more. Uh, have you ever noticed that some days in our lives are just complete game changers? Uh, I mean, the ones that are kind of obvious are like the day that we graduate. I mean, complete game changer. All of a sudden, you were a high school or a college graduate, and all of a sudden, you know, there was kind of no going back. There was a maturity, or at least a sense of maturity that you had an accomplishment there. Another one is uh, the day if if you've got married, uh, the day that you marry, that's uh, one of those days you don't look back. It's like, wow, forever changed. You know, I, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a, a this. Uh, for those who have been blessed with children, you know, that birth of that child. One of those game changer. There's no going back. I'm a parent, I'm, I'm a mom or a dad. Well, there's many others that come along with it, but but those are the ones that kind of stick out in our mind because it really did completely change kind of part of our focus. Our our focus was not so much uh, constricted, but it was expanded during those times. Such Easter. In a a spiritual sense, for the Christian, and, and today's sermon is directed for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, if you haven't done that, I'd love to talk with you this morning. But I do want you to know that this is not just a truth that is for humanity in the sense that this is just, you know, this applies to everybody. No, it, it's possible for all of humanity because of the power of the work of Christ. But it's those who have placed their faith and trust in this finished work of Christ that this application, this power of the resurrection is, is what we're talking about. That for those who have done that, there really is this day that forever changes our lives. Now, most of us, when I was 12 years old, I didn't realize that. I mean, in one way I did, that, okay. But I'll, I'll confess, when I was 12 years old and I came to Christ, it was mo- more to miss hell than it was to gain God. It really was. You know, I just I grew up in a pretty much fundamental uh, church. And, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, there was a simple rotation of sermons, hell, fire, damnation. You know, it was kind of, yeah, every three weeks, you know, we'd kind of have a rotation of that. And, uh, and I wasn't saying that that was bad or anything, but you know, that's really all I heard. And so there was kind of this fear that as a young guy that I'm going, you know, I do not want to go there. And it wasn't so much that I just wanted the beauty of life. I just didn't want to go and be in this place of total death. Well, as I've grown, God has opened my mind to his beauty and, and, and what I get. Not what I miss, but what I get. And I get God. 
And this morning, if you're a Christian, you've put your faith and your trust in God. It's not what we miss, it's what we get. We actually get God, we get life. Even now. I propose to you for Christians that the day that Christ rose from the dead was the ultimate game changer in all of humanity. Some would say, well, what about when Christ died on the cross? Yes, I, in one way, I don't want to separate those events. But, but had Christ died on the cross and not risen from the dead, everything that was accomplished on the cross is, is eliminated. You understand that. At that point, he, he's not God. He, he's just a man who died. He, he's not perfect in all ways. Everything that we put emphasis on the cross, and rightly so, is then made true and real. Christ. And so this morning, as we look at that, we begin to see what God said about that. Just like Ricky, what you said this morning. Let's just let God explain about that. So in 1 Corinthians 15 14, he inspired the Apostle Paul to write this, that everything sits on the reality of this resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Look down at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. I mean, do you see that? That's quite a conclusion that he's drawing. That without the resurrection, there is nothing to preach. There's nothing to have faith in. And we're still in our sins. And then Paul sums up the depth of this reality with this truth in verse 19. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, what we're experiencing right now, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow. When was the last time that we really kind of associated, hey man, if you're a Christian, you are to be pitied. No, he said, if you have put all your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he's not the Son of God, if he did not rise from the dead, then we are to be most pitied there. Pitied why? Because everything that we have in these promises of God, as we saw last week, are based on this one event, this life-changing event in all of human history when Christ dies, rises again with victory over sin, death, and the grave. And just as we saw last week with the promises of God being yes and amen on this very fact of who Christ is in his resurrection, what we find that everything in the entirety of our faith rests on this. I love how Martin Luther, you know, if you ever in doubt of how to word something, just go back to the guys that <laughs> kind of changed the course of history through God's leadership. And Martin Luther said this about how everything rests on the resurrection. He said, everything depends on our retaining a firm hold on this doctrine in particular. For if this one totters and no longer counts, all the others will lose their value and validity. Now, I think that a lot of times we get that here. I think, you know, one thing that I've always tried to do is, okay, I'm preaching to an intelligent people and I'm preaching to people that care about knowing the truth of God's word. Those are two assumptions that I make. 
I'm not saying that we understand all things. I'm not understanding that, that we have everything in the Bible down. I just think that when I preach, I've been fortunate in the, the four churches I've pastored that I preach to intelligent people. You're smart people. And I think you care about the things of God. Well, given that, it's not so much that we don't have kind of a mental capacity somewhat to, to have at least a grasp of this, a little bit of an understanding. But how does that reflect in everyday life? We see the importance of this truth, but do we really know the implications of this truth? And just on a regular, everyday basis. So turn over to Philippians 1. Having that kind of as, as a backdrop where Paul through the inspiration of God, so it's God's word, it's not Paul's word, it's God's word that says everything rests on this resurrection. Now go and let's see the implications of this in real life. Let me ask you this way. Have you ever been in a win-win situation? That no matter if you went left or right, no matter which way, to, man, you're just going to come out smelling of victory because it's just a good situation. It's like, you know, all of a sudden these people call you up and then said, look, you have won a free 12-day cruise. Now, it may be to Hawaii or it may be to Alaska. And instantly you might say, well, man, I, man, I kind of like the beach of Hawaii. Or you go, no, the majesty of Alaska. I'd like to go see all the majesty of that. But, but let's be honest. If you want a 12-day, all-expense-paid cruise to one of those places, are you in a win-win situation? Yes, you are. <laughs> and even if you wanted to go to Hawaii, they said, ah, Greg, you're actually going to be going to Alaska. I don't think you and your lovely wife are going to be disappointed at that point. I think you're going, great. This is fantastic. Well, unfortunately, life is not filled with just a whole bunch of win-win situations. There's actually... You know, choices that we make, and, and sometimes we, we choose a path and it leads to victory and, and winning, and other times we choose another path and perhaps it brings difficulty in what we would maybe consider defeat. It's one of those things that's the challenges of life. And so we find ourselves oftentimes in this predicament of going, okay, I have to be careful with my choices. And that's wisdom, folks. That's smart. To be wise. To, to be prudent to evaluate. And yet, do sometimes we live in fear of some of those things? That if we don't make the right choice, that somehow something is doomed? Or maybe just this week is doomed, or maybe just this month is doomed, or maybe just this year is doomed, or maybe we expand that out and we all of a sudden think, oh my goodness, I'll never recover from that. I think sometimes we can do that with finances. Oh, I made this wrong financial decision and this is going to bring doom to my family. I'll never recover from this. I think it's really easy for us to make a decision like that that impacts our finances so much that all of a sudden it is hard to have hope because we see what an impact it made. It could make that and, and other things that we do just really important choices. So we're not making light of the importance of choices. What we are admitting is that sometimes choices are difficult. I don't know if you had to read this back in school, but uh, it was probably one of my favorite short stories. Uh, I liked all the short stories. I didn't like long novels. My attention span is about this long. And so as a guy, I'm going, short story, yeah, feed them to me. And there was this one called The Lady and the Tiger. Anybody ever read that one? Frank Stockton wrote that. And uh, it's, it's about this uh, ancient king. And he decided that the way that he was going to uh, bring reform to his country is that when somebody did something wrong, 
he would bring the uh, person who did wrong into the arena, and there would be two doors. Behind one door was a beautiful lady. And uh, the condition was, if you opened up that door, you would be able to be declared innocent. You would marry that lady, and, and but you'd be able to walk away free that day. If you open up the door of the tiger, well, you can put two and two together. Pretty much the tiger was hungry, and uh, you were toast. You know, you weren't going to live out of that. And, and so all of a sudden in this story, we see that there's this young man who falls in love with the princess. It's the king's only daughter, and uh, he falls in love with the princess. The only problem is his station's life in, in that arena is way down here, and she's the princess. The king finds out, takes this guy, and he brings accusation against him. And now he's going to have to stand in the arena one day facing the two doors. Behind one door is a beautiful woman, not the princess, but a beautiful woman. And he picks that door, he goes free, but he has to marry her. Behind the other door, a tiger. Well, the story develops. It's not a long story, but it develops. And the princess, who's in love with this guy, who's going to have to stand there and pick a door, that she, she goes and she pays some money to get them to tell him which one, the princess, uh, or, or the, 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 the woman, or the tiger. And she knows. Well, the man comes into the arena that day. He looks at the king, and then he looks at the princess. And he notices that she looks down at her hands. And when he looks at her hands, she's kind of pointing to the left. And so he says, okay, that must be the right choice. But at the same time, he goes, okay, but but I love her. I want to marry her, not this other woman. And at the same time, you, you wonder what the princess is thinking. Does she want her love of her life to marry another one? Or, or does she value his life and so she's going to point to the, the lovely person behind there, the lovely woman, or, or the tiger? And the story ends. And it never tells you. <laughs> yeah. And you are left to kind of come up with your own conclusion. And your conclusion is not an easy one because you have in there all these factors of human frailness. Does the princess say, no, I love him so much that even if I can't spend my life with him, I love him, so I want him to, to live on, even if it's with this other woman who happened to be one of her enemies. That kind of throws a little twist in there too. Or she said, if I can't have him, I don't want him to have, you know, I don't want to go on with life without him. And she picks up. We don't know the complexity of humanity. Now, I don't know about you, and maybe we have never had to stand before two doors. Behind one is a beautiful woman, and behind the other one is a, a tiger. But would you agree that in some way, life is full of those kind of complexities? That it's not just as easy sometimes as just picking a door and thinking, okay, this is right and this is wrong. That sometimes life really gets complex with a whole bunch of different angles, and we can begin to make a reason for either way that we would choose. With that in mind, look what Paul says in Philippians 1. Now, let me give you the background because context is always, if we're not just going through a book and we're just picking scripture out, we always want to give the context. We always want to preach scripture in context. And what's happening here in context is that Paul is under arrest and chained to a Roman guard. He has uh, been told that he will die. 
Not only have the Roman authorities said that, they just haven't said the day and the time, but God has told him that. He has actually kind of said his goodbyes to a lot of the different ones that supported his ministry. Additionally, kind of another twist, a lot of the area pastors have kind of turned on Paul. And others were coming, Paul, do you know that these pastors are saying this about you? And, and Paul really has a great attitude. He says, look, if they're preaching Christ, even if they're kind of not preaching the fullness of the gospel, he says, you know, hey, maybe Christ can, Christ can be proclaimed here. So Paul, instead of getting mad at these other pastors because they were jealous of Paul, he, he actually just, you know, tries to love them with a Christ-like love. And in the midst of all of this, he is really wondering, God, where's my life going? Look at verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Now, what is that response to? When they told him that all these other pastors were saying bad things about him. He said, look, if, if, if Christ is being proclaimed, I'm going to rejoice in that. This isn't a competition. You know, this isn't about Paul. I really am going to rejoice in that. It shows that his true focus truly is this eternal perspective of making Christ known. That's what's important to Paul. And it's not about his own ministry. It's not just about this. But that in this difficult situation, he knows with the clarity given by the Spirit of God what is important. And he says, what's important is Christ. And that Christ is proclaimed. Now look at verses 19 and 20. He points to other reasons why he can have joy. And what we would say is really a difficult and pretty grievous kind of situation. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with the full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What does Paul mean by that? I mean, number one, would we agree that Paul has a pretty mature perspective there? (laughs) Do you have that maturity in your own life? I don't know that I do. Again, we talk about distraction. We just talk about all these other things. The complexities of humanity, we allow... I mean, let's just take what, you know, my, my go-to is forgiveness because it's so hard. Forgiveness is really difficult to forgive as we've been forgiven. That's the challenge. That's the call upon the, the, the Christian. And yet it's challenging. And if it was as simple as somebody came up, come up to you and said, I am so sorry that I hurt you. I I was angry, I was this, uh, I let my pride get in the way, and I am sorry. If I could turn back time, I would do that, but I ask with everything within me, your forgiveness. Forgiveness is pretty straightforward at that point, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> I forgive you. The complexities come on when they don't apologize or they don't even acknowledge that they did wrong, or to make things even worse, have you ever been in the situation where you are the one being accused of being the wrongdoer? And it's not the case at all. 
And in those times, you're going, okay, God, really forgive? See, the word is pretty straightforward. It's the complexities of human life that also get in there in these twists and turns. And Paul could easily be there. But look what he says, verse 19. This will turn out to provide deliverance, verse 20, whether by life or by death. Well, in one way, we take this maybe to be quite morbid. Most of the time that we talk about whether to live or to die, I, I do, you know, I want Christ to be glorified. When we think about death, usually we have this very morbid kind of setting for this. But Paul does not, I assure you, you look at the context, Paul does not have a death wish. And he is not having a pity party. He's not saying, well, you know, the ministry's kind of suffering right now. People are kind of against me. No, he's looking, and, and he's not looking to death to escape his present difficulty. He realizes that in life and death, he wins. Paul comes to an understanding that because of who Christ is, because of the resurrection, Paul, from that day that he placed his faith and his trust in there, that he was in a win-win situation. Does that mean the first day he had full grasp of that? No. Does it mean that even here he has a full understanding of that? I don't know so, but he's a lot farther along than I am. Do you realize that if you have placed your faith and your trust in the finished work of Christ... Because of the power of his resurrection, because of the power of his sacrifice, because of the power of what he has done, you from that day on, when I was 12 years old and wanted to miss hell, forget getting God, I just wanted to miss hell. From that day on, not because of my theology, not because of my understanding, not because of my ability to grasp these things, but because of the power of God through Christ, I was in a win-win situation from that day on. That's, that's who we are, guys. Forever his children. Why? Because he adopted us. Forever forgiven. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he took all of our sin, placed it on Christ, and took all of the righteousness of Christ and placed it on us. I didn't understand that at 12. I don't know that I understand that fully at 58. But I, I now trust that. That's where my faith is. I'm in a win-win situation. I mean, please do not allow this passage to become colored with morbid thoughts because that's not Paul's intention intention at all. Paul's intention is to reflect his reality in Christ's resurrection. That not only does he never no longer need to fear death, but he no longer is bound by circumstances. All of a sudden, all these complexities of life, all these things that just put twists and turns, they get a little bit clearer in the light of this gospel. He's no longer victorious in his situation, only if it turns out this certain way. Paul doesn't, nowhere in here does Paul say, okay, if I get out of prison, I get to go on to more missionary journeys, then I'm victorious. He doesn't say, okay, I want to escape from all this kind of difficulty and death, and I just want to go be with God. Those are really easy conclusions to draw in our life, guys. That to win means we've overcome these difficulties. To win ultimately is that we're with God, we get God. 
It's really hard to claim victory in the midst of a prison with a death sentence, knowing that that death sentence isn't going to come at any point in time. It's so hard for you and I to equate victory simply because we're in the middle of what God's purpose and plan is for our life, even when that purpose and plan means that we're going to be bound by Roman soldiers. I mean, does that make sense? But it's really hard for us to define victory and still be in those difficult circumstances. Our version of victory is to overcome those circumstances. Or we just get tired. And I think every Christian has had this day, especially as we get older and frustrated with the world that we live in. We see the fallenness of the world. And how many of us have ever proclaimed, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we were pretty earnest. God, just come. Just come get us. Take your bride home. I'm tired. Just tired. If there's anybody who could have probably claimed that, (laughs) I think Joseph in the Old Testament... (laughs) And I think maybe Paul in the New Testament. I mean, if there was ever two guys that just walked like you and I, you know. Because, again, I'm not saying that Jesus isn't a good comparison. I'm just going, okay, we're not Jesus, okay? We kind of make that. But but Joseph was a guy like us, and Paul's a guy like us. And, and yet both of these guys, it would have been easy for them to look at their circumstances and go, okay, victory is I get on top of these things. Or they could get tired. Say, okay, God, I just want to be with you. Philippians 1, 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. What was his other choice? To die and go to be with God. Which he'll say later on is far better. He, he knows that to be with Christ is the ultimate call. And yet he still feels a call to this earth. Look at verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part to be with Christ. Have you ever been there, guys? It's part of a part of the ministry that's difficult. Um, we should probably have more classes in seminary on this. I've been by the bedside of, of families hundreds of times where they are saying goodbye to mom or dad or husband or wife or son or daughter or best friend. And they're Christians and they know that the person that's laying in that bed is is a Christ believer, is a follower of Christ and has put their faith and trust. And yet, guys, it's difficult. And many of you have been there, maybe with parents or grandparents. And so there's this part of us saying, okay, I, I know that it's far better. I, I know it's far better. And yet we're pressed between the two. Oftentimes with us, it's because we don't want this mom or dad to go at this moment. We don't want our lovely wife, our handsome husband to depart from us. I mean, it's not that we fear that they're not going to go to heaven. But does that make sense to you? We love this one. Carly and I, we grew up together. We got married so young that, you know, I mean, we just had to learn the ABCs from each other. We've been together so long. 
And one of these days we're going to be in that situation. And every human circumstance and every human complexity will be there with us. And as much as we will want to be people of great, great faith and say, depart is far better, there's going to be a part of me that will say, I am hard-pressed between the two. I am really hard-pressed here, Lord. But I know which one is far better. Again, please don't see morbidity here. That's not the purpose of this. That's not the context of his words. It is victory here. Paul's battle is over. He is in a win-win situation. And somehow in his maturity in Christ, he actually begins to grasp that. But the basis of that win it's not a change of his undesirable circumstances. Nowhere do we see that Paul says, if I get out of this stinking prison <laughs> and go back to preaching, then, then it's a win. No, he's hard-pressed between the two. No, his win is based on one thing alone, the centrality of Christ and the power of, of Christ's resurrection. Most of the time that we quote Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain, we do so kind of in the context of a funeral sometimes. And, and, and I'm not saying that we're wrong in doing that because it brings us hope. But I do want you to understand that if we want to preach the word in context, that is not really what Paul was talking about, even though he was looking at an impending death. I mean, the very Spirit of God had already impressed upon him that he would die. And he's already told a lot of his missionary friends goodbye. And he's, if you go back and read in Acts, they've already had conversations. Hey, this is the last time that I'll probably see you. So, so there is a reality there, but that's not the context of him just going, you know, it would be better at this point just to die. Now what he's saying is, I know which one is far better because I want God so much, but I also want to, to, to serve the purposes of God. My frustration this morning is that uh, for the last three weeks, we've been talking about the resurrection, and the power of the resurrection. Last week, how every promise of God is made yes and amen in Christ. And in one way, I feel like all I've done for the last three weeks is repeat the same story. And so in one way, there's that just that, okay, man, same. come on, God, give me something new. But let me not apologize for the beauty of this passage. For if we grasp it, if we grasp it, it truly changes our perspective. I'm kind of thinking that we begin to grasp it in our 50s and 60s and 70s. I mean, for those that are in that age group, 50s, 60s, and 70s, would you say that you have a better understanding of this now than you did in your 20s, 30s, or 40s? And I'm seeing a whole bunch of yeses. Now, that is not to be condescending to all you wonderful younger people. (laughs) Because, again, we were there. It's not so much to be condescending toward that. But I don't know that I got that in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. Again, I question if I really understand it in my 50s. I just know that as we get older, is it just because death is approaching and it's closer than it was before? Or is it truly that that we begin to, to... See the frustrations of this world? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul sees more and more and more the beauty of the cross. 
in the power of resurrected life. Oh, that I could have grasped that in my 20s. Oh, that I could have grasped that in my 30s. That I was forever in this win-win situation. And all these things that I allowed, even as a follower of Christ, to distract me in my 20s and 30s and 40s and 58s would be clear because I would see the centrality of Christ and the beauty and the power of the resurrection. Does that make sense? It's a really mature place to be in Christ. And I really wonder (laughs) if I have that maturity. I really wonder if I grasp that. But I desire to. Because here's my thing, and we'll conclude. I don't want the power of the resurrection and the promises that Christ made just to free me from the fear of death. He did that long, long ago. I want him to fear me from the distractions that can kind of clog up and confuse the simple call that he placed upon my life to love him, to to, to make much of him, and to rest in him. Please get this, guys. Your rest in Christ doesn't happen the moment that you take your last breath. Your rest in Christ can begin the day that you breathe your first breath as a follower of Jesus Christ. Not because of our maturity, but because of what he has done. This is the call of Christ. This is why he said, I'm in a win-win situation. I know which one is better. And he even had a choice there. But he said, I want to do, I'm free from all these difficulties. I just don't, I just want to do what God has called me to do. And he made a very complex situation, amazingly simple. And I don't think that he was, I think he actually meant this. Because later on in Philippians, we read all these things about his contentment. We read all these things about, I, I finished the race. Not bragging about himself, but just the place of maturity that God had brought him. And that's what I pray for us. That as Christians, that whether we are in our teens, our 20s, our 30s, or 40s, I would pray that we would grasp this as early in our Christian life so that those distractions would go away. and I mean, they're going to be a part of our life, but that we would not be confused by the distractions, but that we would be able to rest in the beauty of Christ, that we would forever see that we are in a win-win situation from that first Easter morning forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this morning as we close uh, with the very that we sang to begin with, Father, that because you live, it is all about you. And yet, Father, we desire that kind of maturity, Father. I, I desire to, to have this maturity that truly, I can say, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. And so, Father, as we are, as Paul said, pressed between the two, Father, will you give us the simplicity of life? Not, not so that we can become simplistic people, but, Father, that we can live on the simple truth of the power of the resurrection. That, Father, that we would understand that it can truly be Easter forever and that it is Easter forever. 
because of what you've done. So, Father, we sing this last song, Father, as a truth, as a prayer, as a proclamation, as a victorious to you today, proclaiming the victory that you have won through the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. For it's in his name that we pray and proclaim this truth. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.